It is good to see you all this morning. If you are a guest here, we want you to know that you're most welcome. We're glad that you're here. Welcome to Conroe Bible Church. I have just a few announcements to pass your way. Um, For the women this week on the 23rd is Let's Do Lunch, and it is at Black Walnut um, out at the airport. Um, The details for that meeting are on Church Center. You can find that there. Um, Our students' ministry is doing an apologetics conference this coming weekend called Chaos to Clarity, and today is the last day to sign up your student, Um, and I think it's uh, the cutoff is maybe 8 p.m. tonight. Uh, So go ahead and get them signed up, and if you have questions, you can get in touch with me, or you can go straight to um, Brittany Francis to ask. If if you ask me, that's where I'm going to point you. (laughs) Men, sign up for Wild Game Dinner. Um, We have just a couple weeks left before that comes up. Um, Sign up on there and let us know whether you'll be bringing a wild game dish or a tame dame. uh, Yeah, tame dame. Don't don't bring those. (laughs) That would that'll disrupt the whole. Okay, next thing is (laughs) tame tame dame. It's like 1940. Are you guys done laughing? (laughs) It's tame game dish. I had to concentrate. But we need to know what you're bringing so we can make sure there's enough for everybody to eat. Um, So go ahead and sign up. You can sign up on Church Center. Um, The last thing is you you probably got an email this last week um, about the Celebration of Life service for Bill Begin that will be uh, this next Sunday. Um, Our email said it would be at 2 o'clock. Um, The updated time for that is 3 o'clock. So make a note if you plan to attend um, and come and celebrate Bill's life. We'll send out another email this week um, also letting you know that. That's all I've got. Let's stand together and we'll begin our time of worship. Love the now. 
It's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved. 
Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the life that we find there and the son that you gave for us. We ask this morning that you be near us, that you draw us together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Today we have the privilege of a baby dedication is what we call it. It's more of a parent dedication. Uh, This does not uh, impact uh, Willow's uh, salvation other than the work of her uh, parents to disciple her to Jesus. So we have Aaron and Naomi Broussard and their beautiful daughter Willow. And uh, we are going to um, read some scripture. We're going to pray over her and I'm going to ask you... uh, Uh, I'm going to ask them two questions and then ask you a question as well. Let me introduce it by a great passage uh, given to the Israelites, but uh, the methodology is really solid for us as well as parents uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses uh, 4 through 7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words, which I am commanding you today, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and daughters, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. Beautiful passage of how discipleship is just normal. It starts in the home, and we carry it out no matter where we are. And uh, it's our privilege to dedicate you guys today. I've got two questions for you. Aaron and Naomi, have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? Yes. And do you, by God's grace, commit to raise Willow according to the nurture and admonition of God's Word? Great. Now we have a question for the church family. And uh, this has to do with your desire to uh, reinforce them, to reassure them, uh, to pray for them, to encourage them, and and even to step up and teach Willow, perhaps, in the coming years. Uh, Will you commit to uh, encourage Naomi and Aaron in this process of discipling Willow to Jesus? Great. Thank you. Let's pray over Willow. Sworn to take my glasses off. <laughs> you sweet girl. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for Willow. We thank you for this beautiful young girl that you have uh, delivered to Aaron and Naomi. Thank you for her health. Thank you that you are the one that handmade her in the womb. And you made her not only in your image, but you made her with unique talents and gifts and personality and temperament. And we pray that uh, Aaron and Naomi will be able to discover those unique traits, to be able to encourage them. I pray that you would give them great wisdom and understanding how you've designed Willow. Pray that you would give them great stamina in the parenting process. And we ask that you would give them grace to lavish your grace upon her to love her unconditionally, and to point her to Jesus. And we would ask that at an early age, she would come to know Jesus as her Savior by placing her faith in you. Lord, we we commit them to you. We thank you as a church family that they are part of us. 
and we thank you for the privilege that we have to serve uh, not only our babies, but our children, our students, our adults. We pray that you would keep us encouraged to commit to them as they disciple will it to Jesus. We give you thanks in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Thank you guys very much. We love you. Now we're going to dismiss Sunshine Kids Club. That is kindergarten through grade five. And if you're a guest with us, feel free to go out and, and get uh, an idea of what's going on. Meet the staff. You can check in your child over at the check-in counter. Discipleship starts at home and moves out into the world. And so we just celebrated this dedication of Willow and Aaron and Naomi to the Lord, and uh, especially to Aaron and Naomi as they commit to uh, raise Willow, their child, uh, that they've been given the stewardship of by Jesus. And uh, they want to understand her and uh, get a better feel for how God has designed her. In fact, one of the early traits that they've discovered is that she loves to drum. And, uh, you know, an eight-month-old, nine-month-old is, is not uh, that heavily skilled, but she just loves beats. So they got her some plastic drumsticks. They don't, they're not trying to create the perfect drummer. They're just saying, hey, she enjoys this right now. And they give her little videos to watch and, and bang away on the drums. And I think that's pretty cool. I think it's a great example of trying to understand your child and, and how God has designed her and how to raise her up in the Lord. But the unique traits and personality and temperament are not all that they are looking at. They want to disciple her to Jesus. As uh, she grows up, they want to introduce her to the gospel. They want to uh, model what it means to live an abundant life. They want to uh, help her understand what it means to be involved in the community of believers through the local church as she grows up. And so it is their desire to disciple her to Jesus. Now, if they were to come to you, and I hope they will at some point over the next 18 years at least, and say, uh, in, in our work with Willow, we're discipling her to Jesus, and, and we are giving her what we know and trying to pass that along. And if they were to ask you, uh, would you give us three characteristics about Jesus? that uh, you have found important and powerful in your life to pass along to Willow, what would you say to them? And you don't have to answer out loud, but I want you to think about that because this morning as we look at God's word, we're going to see three characteristics of Jesus that I think are powerful. We're going to see his unconditional love in pursuit of people in pursuit of us. We're going to see uh, his encouragement, the encouragement of Jesus, and then the resurrection of Jesus. We are in a sermon series titled 
My name is Jesus. Do you know him? And our desire here is to expand our knowledge of what we already understand about Jesus, to rediscover who he is in this season of our lives. All of us have some grasp of who he is, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not yet a follower of Jesus. And so all of us have some kind of grasp, but it's real easy, especially for those who have been followers of Jesus for years, to begin to overlook who he is to begin to forget how dynamic he is and how living he is and, and some of the characteristics that we don't always think about or we just take for granted. So that's the purpose of our series uh, this uh, winter as we look at uh, in, in the weeks leading up to Easter, looking at Jesus. And uh, you're going to love this part. Uh, our passage today, if you want to turn there, or if you want to pull that up on your phone or your iPad, is uh, Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. Now, if you're really astute and, and sharp, you'll recognize that uh, we were in that passage last week. And... Um, Hopefully, that will give you a little bit of familiarity that allows you to think more deeply and maybe the Spirit to work uh, even in greater ways in your own heart. So we're going to look at Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. It's on the road to Emmaus. Last week, we looked at the playfulness of Jesus, uh, what John Eldridge calls the playfulness, what Philip Yancey calls the whimsical nature uh, of Jesus and how he approached the men on the road to Emmaus. Today, I want to look at three characteristics, and I've already named them, the pursuit of Jesus, the encouragement of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. And we're asking the question, you know, what have I taken for granted about this? Or what have I forgotten about this? And asking the Lord to stir our hearts that we might be drawn to worship Jesus in greater ways, to know him, to love him in greater ways, and to follow him in greater ways. So we're going to start in Luke 24, verses 13 to 24, and see the passionate pursuit of Jesus. The passionate pursuit of Jesus is relentless. I love that word. It's unstoppable. The entire Bible is the story of God's pursuit of us. That's what we have throughout Scripture. Pursuit is not a word that we're crazy about when it applies to law enforcement chasing us down the highway. But pursuit is a great word when we think in terms of a lover's relationship. Those that are in love with each other pursuing each other. And that's how we want to see it today, because that's what Jesus models for us. And that's what he gave for these two men on the road to Emmaus. His love is evident in his pursuit. And this is what we read in verses 13 to 15 of Luke 24. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus. Now that very day is what we call Resurrection Sunday or Easter. So that is the day that they have left Jerusalem. They were pilgrims at the Passover. And as we find out later, they were actually with the disciples. They are heading down back to Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, very intense emotional words here, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. Two men are confused, doubtful, and unhappy. 
They are quite sad. They are disconsolate. They could identify well with Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. They were downcast because they had put their hopes in Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah. They believed that he was the one that would redeem Israel. He was dead. Death on the cross, of all things. He was buried. And today they got word that the tomb was empty. And so this is what they're discussing. This is what they're exploring, trying to figure it out. They are confused. And Jesus casually shows up. A traveler joining others on the journey wasn't that unusual in those days. But this isn't a traveler looking for greater protection by traveling in a, in a group. This is Jesus pursuing two discouraged souls. This is Jesus coming after them. They are hurting. And so he does. He playfully asks, what are they discussing so in, intensely? And incredulous would be the, the best word to describe their reaction there. They just stop in their tracks. They look down for a minute, and then they're like, are you the only person in all of Jerusalem that's been there this weekend because you're coming from there just like we are, and you're not aware of all that went on? I mean, there were all kinds of trials. There was all kinds of injustice done. This man that we have been following was killed on a cross. You're not aware of any of this? Jesus was, but he asked what things. And this is what they said in verses 19 to 21. The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Now, we don't know their spiritual status. We know that they had presented themselves as disciples to Jesus. All we really know for certain is that they were confused, that they were upset, that they had uh, a misunderstanding about who Jesus was as Messiah. They saw him as the conquering king, the one who would come back and restore Israel to its glory days, the days of King David and then Solomon. That's what they had hoped for, and and all of those hopes were dashed when they saw him on the cross. At heart of their hopelessness is the fact that they believed Jesus would rescue them from Rome with a great political kingdom. Well, their thinking is off and their hope is misplaced. But Jesus pursued them. And there's no greater honor in the universe than to be pursued by the living God. To be pursued by Jesus Christ. That's what these men were. And that's what Jesus is revealing to us about himself. Scripture gives us a great... Well, not just examples, but a, a tour of Scripture gives us a great understanding of Jesus in his pursuit of us. I want to read through. I'm not going to read the passages themselves, but I'm going to refer to some passages as we think about this concept of pursuit in our lives. In Genesis 127, we realize that God pursues us because we're valuable. 
we're made in his image. And my purpose for doing this is to let God's grace wash over you, wash over me, wash over us, to be reminded of his great love for us, and to be given clear examples of his love. He pursues us because we're made in his image. He pursued us from the beginning. You know, Adam and Eve, he created male and female in his image. They sinned and they hid from God and God pursued them. What a great opportunity to just end that whole experiment and start anew, right? But he didn't. He pursued them, went after them. Throughout the Old Testament, we see God pursuing his people offering them chance after chance to come to him. Uh, I love the story uh, of a, a young girl out in Southern California came to Christ through the outreach of a local church. Uh, and she came to Christ and they wanted to disciple her. And they were concerned about her background and her lifestyle and everything else and not knowing anything about scripture. And they wanted to disciple her. But having come to Christ and being forgiven of her sins and being given a sense of restoration, she wanted to go home and be with her family. And they were concerned that, you know, she wasn't going to be discipled and she wouldn't get to know Jesus. And, and so they said, just start reading the scripture. And she did. And about six months later, she sent a, a letter back and, and she wrote to them and said, you know, I can't believe how much God loves people. I've read through the Old Testament three times now, and I see people that he chose that he called his own and they constantly stiff armed him and pushed him back. And they pursued other things that they thought were more important than him. And he gave them chance after chance after chance and finally put them in captivity and then brought them back. She said, this God is incredible. That's what she got from reading scripture, understanding that there's a God who pursues us, that his love is unconditional, that he will not leave us alone what do we hear in the Gospels? Well, certainly in Luke 19, 10, we have Jesus, the, the heart of Jesus saying, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. Romans 5 tells us that in our lost states, gives us five great adjectives. We were enemies, we were ungodly, we were helpless, we were sinners, we were deserving of wrath. That's how we are described apart from Jesus Christ enemies and he pursued us sinners and a holy god pursued us ungodly deserving of his wrath and he pursued us out of his love that is just incredible when we think about jesus saying i have come to seek and to save that which is lost in luke 15 we get a couple of parables they're just beautiful the, the parable of the lost coin and the lost sheep and and those who go out and search and celebrate when they find it. This is God's love. This is our Jesus. John 3:16 might be the greatest act of passionate pursuit. God sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. And whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's incredible. Now we know John 3:16 a lot of people that watch sports on TV know John 3.16. 
because of the posters held up in the end zone. And that's a great thing. But we don't ever want to forget that that comes out of the heart of God, motivated by his love with which he loved us, that he sent the son. And what did the son do? Well, he, because we couldn't come to him, came to us. He stooped down to our level. And in Philippians 2, we realize that he, or we read that he, rec- that he um, humiliated himself, even to the point of death on a cross. In obedience to the father, but he did that so that he could be our sinless substitute, so he could pay a penalty that we could not pay, penalty of death for sin. He was buried and he rose again victorious over sin and death. We see God's pursuit of us, God's pursuit of mankind throughout Scripture. We did not pursue our Lord. We, we are in no condition to pursue him, but Jesus pursued us. And we see him pursuing his people even when they are not loving. Just as this young woman discovered reading the Old Testament. In Isaiah, Isaiah talks repeatedly or, or gives the word of God saying, you are an obstinate people. And still I hold out my hand in offering to you. This is God pursuing us when we are obstinate. I don't know if you can identify with that or not. Matthew 23, Jesus lamented over the stubbornness of the Jews, of his own people, that he had come to them and they rejected him, that they did not want the life he had to offer. Hosea, incredible book in the Old Testament, basically just a real life metaphor of our unfaithfulness to God. His wife, Gomer, was continually unfaithful to him and God kept sending him back to show us how much God loves us. We can get our minds around that. God loves us and pursues us. And unless we think that God shows some kind of favor just to us here in Montgomery County or in Texas or in America, we read in Revelation 5 that there will be people from every tongue and tribe and nation, every ethnicity represented. Why? Because he's pursuing them. And how does he pursue them now? Through us, through his followers. We are told to be his witnesses, to go out into the entire world. And so I hope that that stimulates and stirs your heart and your mind as you consider sharing the verbal gospel with others. Because we don't want to be those that just embrace and enjoy the love of Christ in our lives, but we want to be willing to share it with others. We see the pursuit of Jesus throughout scripture. Jesus loves you and he pursues you. And that is great in terms of security. There's no greater honor in the universe than to be the object of our Lord's pursuit. Jesus' pursuit of us reminds me of the poem, The Hound of Heaven, by Francis Thompson. It was 19th century. It's uh, not making the rounds on social media right now, but it has at different times. And it's an incredible passage. Francis Thompson knew the height of comfortable living with his parents in London. And he also knew the depths of despair. He lived homeless on the streets of London as an opium addict for three years. Then he wrote this poem. And in the poem, he talked about the hound of heaven. He talked about the unconditional love of God continually pursuing him throughout life. In the poem, he talks about how he pursued different things that he wanted or that he thought would elevate him or make him feel better. 
and they all were useless. They were all worthless. And despite his anger toward God, and despite his blasphemy toward God, God pursued him. He used the metaphor of these hounds on the hunt to represent the love of Christ pursuing him. G.K. Chesterton called it the most magnificent poem in the English language, and J.R.R. Tolkien said Chesterton didn't even do it justice. It's a beautiful passage. I, I encourage you to find it. Find it in the modern English version and read it. And again, let the love of Christ wash over you. Great example of the love of Christ pursuing us. And that's what we want in our lives. From the moment you were born, God has been pursuing your heart. His greatest longing is for relationship. Not because he needs it, but because he delights in the people that he has created. The relentless love of Jesus shapes our hearts in powerful ways. Powerful ways. Loved people love people. You've heard the, the opposite, right? Hurt people hurt people. When we live out of the truth that we are loved by the living God of the universe, it changes how we approach others, how we approach relationships, how we approach life in general. We become more secure in who we are. We realize the adequacy that we have and our significance is in Christ. And so the pursuit of Jesus is worth dwelling on as we recall his unconditional love for us. And if Willow was to learn that at a young age, then she would be a person that would make an impact in this world by loving others, understanding God's love for her. That's something we all want. It's something we want to share with others. First few verses, we see the passionate pursuit of Jesus. It is relentless. In this next section, verses 25 to 29, we see the powerful word of Jesus is encouraging. The powerful word of Jesus is encouraging. God's word lifts our spirits and gives us strength. And the Bible is God's love letter to us. God's word is living and dynamic. And he has given us this revelation about himself and about life and about us so that we might better understand him and understand how to follow him. Jesus is our greatest encouragement and he is revealed in scripture. And that's what we see in these verses. It's kind of an interesting dynamic here. The, the two men on the road to Emmaus had kind of rebuked Jesus for being out of touch for being a stranger, for not knowing what was going on. And now Jesus rebukes them, and he's going to call them on the carpet for not knowing God's word, understanding God's word, trusting God's word. They are perplexed doubters, and Jesus approaches them this way in verses 25 and 26. And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Their problem is in their hearts. It's not in their heads. They've heard God's word. They've heard the Old Testament. They've heard the prophets, especially their beloved prophet Isaiah. But it hasn't affected their trust in God. It hasn't affected their understanding of the Messiah and how they apply God's word. They are slow to hear it and to heed it. 
So this rebuke sets up Revelation. This is what we read in verse 27. Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. The greatest teacher is teaching the greatest theme of the greatest book to provide the greatest blessings for these two men. This is some Bible conference, isn't it? When Jesus himself is taking you through Scripture and showing how all of the Bible testifies to him, that he is literally bound up in every book of the Bible, and that we can see him, whether it's prophecy about him, whether it's his speaking or revealing his life and ministry here on earth. These two downcast men are now given an eternal perspective to the person of Jesus Christ. And this is our calling, to disciple and to mentor others with God's word. One of our greatest ministries is to encourage others. We live in an era, a season, a generation that is stressed out and burned out, that is anxious and fearful and depressed. And you feel it personally, perhaps just coming and going. But you see it all around you. And we see that on social media. We see that in the news. We hear it from our athletes and our celebrities. That's the world that we live in. And we can make a huge impact by being those who encourage others. We don't want to be known as the generation nicknamed the people who do not encourage. I am convinced that every conversation can be an opportunity for encouragement. It can be an opportunity to thank someone. It can be an opportunity to recognize something they've done or to recognize something God has done in them. It can be an opportunity just to acknowledge their value and their worth. This can happen in, in virtually any conversation. And this is what Jesus does for us through his word, continually pushing it into our hearts through the Holy Spirit and inviting us, commanding us in places. In fact, encourage one another is a direct command to push out his word into others' hearts. And so when we encourage one another at the highest level, we are able to take God's word and we're able to point people to Jesus through his word. We're able to give them strength through who he is and through what he's done and through the truth of his word and through the grace of his person. We want to be a people that reach out to others, that offer words of grace to help in the moment of need. And that is something we can do as followers of Jesus. And so take all those verses that you've memorized, take all those verses that you've meditated upon and start sharing them, work them into your daily conversations and notice how people are encouraged and strengthened around you through that. The third section is verses 30 to 35. We see the predicted resurrection of Jesus changing lives. You know, I want to go back. I, I skipped one section I want, to, I want to bring out, and that is just taking a quick look at uh, what Jesus may have said to them. We're not told exactly what he explained to them. Um, 
but we know that the whole Bible testifies to Jesus. And so you may have seen those posters where uh, someone has named every book of the Bible and next to it, it states who Jesus is and how he's represented in that passage. And so you may have Genesis, seed of the woman, Exodus, Passover lamb, on and on, Matthew, King of Kings, Mark, Suffering Servant. And we get all these pictures of Jesus throughout Scripture. And, and I would encourage you even to Google that just to get a chance to have a better understanding in the context of Scripture. Uh, perhaps they referred to, or perhaps Jesus took them through some of the 300 prophecies that were fulfilled from the Old Testament in his lifetime on earth. Plenty more to come in terms of the second coming and all of that. But perhaps he just took them through the ones he had already fulfilled. Reference to Messiah begins in, in Genesis 3, in Genesis 22, in Genesis 49. We see types and shadows of Christ. We see direct references to Deuteronomy 18.15 about the prophet who is to come throughout the law. Throughout the historical books, we learn of the coming king through the Davidic covenant and other areas. And in the, the song lyrics of the Psalms, Psalm 2 and 69 and 22 and 110 and 118, we could go on and on. There are direct prophecies that come fulfilled in Christ and are often quoted either by him or the apostles as they preach throughout the book of Acts. We don't know what he used as he was teaching these two on the road to Emmaus. But what we do know was he was making sure they understood that God's word points to him. That when we read God's word, when we study God's word, we want to be looking to him. We want to see how he is shaping us to become more like him. What does he desire in our lives? What does he offer in the way of resources? Jesus pursues us with his love. And he informs us through his word. And that's huge encouragement. In fact, we can't get better encouragement than to hear from him in that way. Jesus opens their minds and their hearts. They understand the power of God's word and the illumination of the spirit by the time he is finished. And those are resources that we have. And we don't want to take them for granted. We want to be a people of the word. And so I hope that as you reflect, even on your devotions, your time that you connect with God, whatever you call it, that you recognize and realize how powerful God's word is and how encouraging it is to hear from him on a daily basis. The third section, verses 30 to 35, the predicted resurrection of Jesus changes lives. The plan of redemption is revealed throughout scripture. The cross was not an accident. But because of Jesus' past resurrection, we have a living hope for the present in which we live and for the future, that we will spend all of eternity with Christ. The resurrection affects our lives in terms of assurance, in terms of our lives growing toward Christ's likeness, in terms of hope and certain expectation of his return, and in terms of how we live our lives and our calling to serve Jesus in, uh, in the world. The two men on the road to Emmaus were told that their hearts were burning. Literally, they were lit on fire by being exposed to God's word, by hearing Jesus teach them. And then he sat down at the table with them and there was recognition. 
they recognize that this is Jesus, and in the way it's worded, we realize that they began to fully comprehend him. Not only is Jesus of Nazareth who they have known, but as Messiah, and everything comes together that Jesus has been teaching them. This is what, how Luke recorded the scene in verses 30 and 31. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They now know that Jesus is alive. That's why the tomb is empty. That's why the body is gone. Because he is alive and he is living. And he has certainly just poured out his heart, perhaps even about the suffering servant in Isaiah 53 who would take on the sins of the world and who would be resurrected. And all of this comes into play for them. And they understand that Jesus Christ is alive because he was resurrected. He vanished from sight, but he did not leave them. Uh, leaving uh, assumes changing locations or changing geography. But what Jesus did was he just became no longer visible to them. And I think the point for us is that he is always with us, even when we don't see him, even when we don't feel him, even when we don't touch him, Jesus is with us and will never leave us or forsake us. That is part of the truth of the resurrection. And that changes lives because it gives us strength and companionship in loneliness and doubt. These men realized that their lives were changed. They were completely affected by comprehending who he was. And as we look to Jesus, I think our lives are affected the same ways. I, I like the way Saul Alberry puts it in, in one of his little books on the resurrection. And he isolates four different things that I see, some of which is going on here for these two on the road to Emmaus. And so I want to bring those out as four things that we can take away, truths that by the grace of God impact our life because of the resurrection. As we look to the risen Jesus, we have certainty in our hearts about assurance of our salvation, about transformation, being transformed into Christ's likeness, about a living hope, and about a call to mission. So the first one is assurance. We have certainty in the biblical historical account of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. He was seen by hundreds, and that is well documented. The resurrection of Jesus is the consequence and the demonstration of our salvation because, the consequence and, because death is a consequence and demonstration of our sin. In Jesus Christ, the resurrection is the consequence and the demonstration of our salvation. Death is no longer for us. The resurrection of Jesus and only the resurrection of Jesus assures us of our salvation. Our sins are fully dealt with and death is no longer a destination. It is now a gateway to a new life and a perfect life. Transformation, the second one. Changed lives are evidence of the resurrection. We want change. We know God wants change. We know that he can bring about change. We are united with Christ and possess his resurrection power. 
because we are in union with him. And we want to tap into that through communion with Christ. We want to receive the grace that he has for us. We have the power to live the life of discipleship that he calls us to. He will continually work inside us and through us from the inside out to change us, to make us more like him. And that plays out just in our daily lives, doesn't it? To control our tempers, to keep our commitments, to forgive others, to care give for someone long term. There are all kinds of ways that that plays out. Jesus has given us the power to tap into his resurrection power. And he broke the power of sin so that we can choose righteousness and present the instruments of our body for righteousness. And as we do that, as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, he continually makes us more like Christ. We have hope, third aspect of the resurrection. Hope is not something we do like we hope it's good weather for the picnic. But hope is something we have. We possess a living hope through Jesus Christ. We have hope for eternity with Christ, and our hope is guaranteed by God. And it bears his signature, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We have a new body and a new earth to look forward to because Christ has risen from the dead. And then mission. Mission is a fourth area that impacts our lives. We have a purpose for our life because of the resurrection. The resurrection compels us to go into mission. Our calling is to serve Jesus. These two men discovered who Jesus was and they immediately ran back to Jerusalem. They immediately went back to the apostles and the disciples, the followers of Jesus to let them know they were so moved. And it was just a start. I'm beginning to let the world know. After the resurrection, Jesus gave a mandate to his followers, and that was to make disciples all over this planet to continue. And that mandate is still given to us today. The Great Commission in Matthew 28, we are to share the good news of the gospel to everyone everywhere, regardless of consequences, regardless of the cost to us. That is our joy and our privilege. And that is our calling because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we have exhibit A, this bunch of disciples that they, these two ran back to, they're hiding behind locked doors in Jerusalem. They are fearful because they've been associated with Jesus. They're confused and they're doubting because his body is gone. And they're hearing weird things from angels. And now, Jesus is alive. And so these who have been hiding in Jerusalem behind locked doors are pretty soon out in public. We see it all through the book of Acts, don't we? Preaching in the temple, in the city, in the country, everywhere they go, they are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are standing before the leaders of their country, the religious leaders, and they are being persecuted and they are being martyred. Why? Because Jesus is alive and that compels them to go into mission for him. That is the calling that we have to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And boldness always accompanies motivation when we consider the impact of the resurrection on our mission for Jesus. We can identify with the men on the road to Emmaus. 
We are people who live in a world filled with doubt and anxiety, confusion, fear, loneliness. But we are people that are changed because Jesus pursues us. Pursues us with his love. And gives us security, strength, and significance so that we're able to love others. We are people that are encouraged by his word because it points us back to Jesus. And we begin to understand who he is. And we see his majesty throughout scripture. And so we are motivated to love him more. We are motivated to get to know him better through his word. We are people who are changed by the resurrection. We are people who have greater certainty of our salvation. We are people that are watching change take place in our lives because of the work of the Holy Spirit. We are a people who have a living hope, a certain expectation that Christ will return, that we will spend eternity with him, and a people who are willing to go out on mission because of the power of the resurrection in our lives. I challenge you this week to get to know Jesus in those three ways as you meditate on this passage and think about Jesus' pursuit of you and Jesus' encouragement of you and the power of the resurrection in your life. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that you would include us in, in your plan and that as obstinate and stubborn and unfaithful as we are, that you continue to pursue us. And thank you that you pursue the ones we love that don't yet know you. We ask, Lord, that you would give us grace to not only be encouraged by your love and strengthened, but to be on mission for you, to let the world know that you are alive and that you do change lives, that you do restore people to wholeness. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together.
things working oh all right I was gonna have to stop us because this next song's fast Struggle with the lies that I live. I have 
week. Have a good one.